Hello and welcome to the Pressing Matters podcast. I'm Sam Hyde and I'm joined by Toby Priestover and it's been a very exciting week of football. Uh, Toby, how have you enjoyed this week? Sam, it has been phenomenal. All right. The 7-0, the absolute drubbing. What do you call it when it's 7-0 against the rivals when they're supposed to be on top in the resurgence and you're supposed to, you know, and Liverpool are supposed to be finished and the end of a dynasty, you know? I just don't think there are the words to describe it or how I'm feeling, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, it's what, Wednesday now? I'm still on a high from Sunday. I'm not sure I'll ever come down. Until next week, when anything could happen. When we lose to Bournemouth. <laughs> oh, they're, they're tricky, Bournemouth. Uh, we'll talk about them later, I'm sure. But uh, ju- just what went on with Liverpool, because obviously 7-0 in a game like this, and with how Man United's season has uh, been going, probably a bit of exaggeration in terms of the reaction to United before the game. But either way, they're doing well in third. Uh, just like, how is it possible that this could happen? Because it's insane. How is it possible that, that the Carabao Cup winners, Sam, could uh, be humbled like this? I think you mean. <laughs> of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, fascinating. I think I think it comes back to a few things. It comes back to well, there's a there's a lot of factors involved. I think Liverpool were very good going forwards. I think United facilitated Liverpool being good going forwards. I think Eric Ten Hag made decisions in how he set his team up. And I also think that it comes back to a little bit of it's never as good as you think it is and it's never actually as bad as you think it is and that could be applied to both teams' seasons. Um, so where would you like to begin in all that, to be honest? Well, how how did Ten Hag set the team up poorly? Because uh, we spoke last week about Rashford versus Trent, which ended up not really happening. Uh, was that Was that one of the big ones or were there other things... Yeah, I mean, there are a few things. I think I think that's the big one. And then the knock-on effects that that had on the team. Now, I think it's worth noting that Trent has got the better of Rashford before in, in games. It's not some ridiculous one-sided thing. Um, Rashford isn't on a Vinicius Jr. level of untouchable left winger cutting inside. However, the guy's been in ridiculous form. Um so it was curious to then play him down the middle where his strengths, let's be honest, are being direct and using athleticism. And that's not to say he's not good technically, you've got to be, but you know, the main thing is is I'd say his physical attributes, right? And you're then putting him up against Van Dijk and Canate and asking him to run into those spaces and two physical powerhouses in terms of strength and speed and, and positioning. So I think that was quite foolish, just isolating your greatest attacking asset against those two. Um, the knock, the reason I think he did that was because he wanted Wout Weghorst in there, um, playing as a ten who who did a very good man marking job against Barcelona in that role. Um, but then that in in turn means that you've got Bruno Fernandes out on the left. And so all in all, if you look at that passage of sort of knock-on effects and tactical decisions you're making, you've got your what would have been your your biggest attacking asset against our biggest defensive weakness in Rashford versus Trent. You could have isolated him against him and also pin back how we can progress down that right-hand side. Um, in always giving us a, a a decision to make, and can we can we go and leave that space exposed and let Trent go forwards? And instead, you put Bruno up against him, who's always going to be first off cutting inside. Well, I mean, Rash would be cutting inside, but he's not going to be looking to burn Trent for pace. He's not going to be in transitions, running in behind. In fact, he's going to be very ball orientated in the transition. And when and when they win the ball off us, he's going to be wanting to receive the ball early to then hit space. So I just think it changes the complexion of where your threats are and where those threats are that can hurt Liverpool the most. 
really. So that was the first curious tactical decision. And then the next thing was going man-to-man anyway, to be honest, with our front three. If you go man-to-man and we can can pop it around the first couple of bits of pressure, I mean, then you're in trouble because you've got someone like Gakpo who's dropped off the actual line of defence. The midfield has been sucked in. The United midfield has been sucked in to go and press the likes of Henderson, Fabinho and Elliot, who were all pretty comfortable in playing sort of one-twos around the pressure that they're under. Something about Harvey Elliott is he is very he is very good on the ball. His first touch, you can sort of give it to him under a bit of pressure and he'll still keep it, generally. Um, so I think as soon as that midfield was sort of bypassed with a couple of quick passes, you're looking at Gakpo coming off the forward line, receiving it in some pockets and... He's been great at picking it up on the turn and then springing direct counters through sort of a galloping Nunes on the left or a uh, a brilliant Salah down the right. Yeah, well, we we kind of hyped up slightly Nunes and Gakpo before while they were getting a lot of stick. Uh, so it just feel quite good to see they're both scored twice against Man United. Are you happy with the Liverpool attack now? Is it looking like it's starting to click and things are, are working? It's looking it's looking brilliant. It looks like there's a real sort of sort of fluidity and, and an idea that actually looks like it can work in practice. Do you know what I mean? Um it feels like Nunes is more of a... If we look at the sort of Firmino, Salah, Mane as a reference point, you obviously keep Salah on the right, so nothing changes there, and he's playing a very similar similar way. Um, when we had Nunes down the middle, he looked isolated because the sort of ending line of the attack would be through the middle at Nunes rather than Nunes dropping off the line of defence, opening up space in behind, giving that defence a decision, do you stick or, or sort of twist and go with the the player who's dropped in and then expose yourself in behind where Salah can attack that space or do you do you, do you drop back leave Gakpo to go and pick it up and sort of pick it up and then turn and just run at you so so we always had that dilemma with Firmino as as the nine it now looks like we've got that back when Gakpo's down the middle and Nunes coming in off the left looks you know like he can terrorise full backs and also still end in sort of attack ending moves if you see what I mean, uh, which is important. So the attack is very nice. I think Gakpo really, I've, I've been really impressed with. Um, he looks like the last couple of weeks it's just sort of clicked. Um, whether that be confidence, whether that be other people uh, understanding how he plays and where he wants the ball, but also him understanding his teammates better and understanding the role itself. You know, I think that's all going to come into play. But um, he's looked like a he's looked like a a Firmino who's less. I, I, I'm hesitant to use the word technical because I don't think he's not technical but less sort of skillful in a creative flamboyant sense in terms of sort of doing roulettes into people's feet who are running beyond him but he looks like he's got that touch on the half turn and that intelligence to understand where the space has been left to exploit because the ball's reached him um, and he looks like a, a well physically he's a lot quicker and a lot stronger and a lot taller so it's kind of like Firmino with with some of the skills and the Samba magic taken away but a sort of Dutch efficiency or I don't know if the Dutch are even efficient but you know it feels right (laughs) but maybe like a pace and power element to it instead does that make sense yeah of course uh yeah, I was going to say that he's physical. I think you're thinking of Germans who are efficient. I don't know what the Dutch are doing. Yeah, but I tell you what, his two finishes were extremely efficient anyway. We've not even spoken about uh, Diego Jota and... Luis Diaz. Diaz exactly. Well. Yeah. So there's there's a huge amount of depth. There's a huge amount of options. And you've also got players who can play across that front line. If we're talking about Gakpo, he can go to the left. Jota can play down the middle or on the left. Nunes can play down the middle or on the left. You know... There's a lot of, I mean, it's all sounding like down the middle or on the left, but there's there is interchanging there. And when you've got Salah on the right, I mean, the guy's the guy's ridiculous. He's a machine. How he always hits numbers, regardless of how the team's doing, really. And he always his availability is just ridiculous. You know, 
in terms of the minutes he can play and and how regularly and he can play. So it's the feel good factor is is back. I'm not saying that we're going to definitely get top 4, but if anything can kick us on into um a cluster of tougher fixtures sort of down the line a little bit, what better way to do it than 7-0 against United? Yeah, and the question I suppose is where does this leave United? Uh we've we've gone nearly 15 minutes without bringing up Gary Neville, which is quite impressive, but uh Last week, Gary Neville said that he thought Man United would finish above Arsenal this season still. Uh, They're now 14 points behind. I'd be more than happy for this podcast to just turn into a podcast digging out Gary Neville. We can have a full (laughs) rebrand. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of content there, you know. Um, The the smugness to Graham Souness pre-match. Did you see all of that? It's obviously been doing the rounds on Twitter, but I mean, that was beautiful how adamant he was that Liverpool didn't even play very well after the game. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, really. I don't know how, I mean, rather than rather than Gary Neville, yeah, how, where do you think this, I suppose the question is, how much of the performance, how much of the result was Liverpool being good and how much of it was United being bad? I think in the second half, Liverpool were definitely very good. Everything just seemed to work. And what I liked about Liverpool as well is that when I've watched like Arsenal this season, they've gone three or four nil up, is that they just kind of like leave it there and rest. But the Liverpool team was just attacking so much. It, they were just like children on the playground, just wanting goals. And obviously that's how you get seven in a game like this. Yeah, I think it's also the frequency of goals in the second half makes it so hard to work out how good we are how, how how good we were right because everything just ended up everything ended up going in almost you know Liverpool did have a very good XG still like when you win 7-0 you're never going to get an XG of 7 but I think they were at like a 3.5 or something which is really really impressive um, it was 2.91 Liverpool's XG um, which is it's just very good yeah um, yeah I mean and, and they were magnificent goals that we scored Um and it was they were at the right time. We spoke about Real Madrid, I think, last week and the sort of timing of their of their goals against Liverpool in the first leg of the Champions League, um, and effectively sort of being able to stay in the game and manage the game and, and then score at the right moments, um, go in at half time level and then come out and score immediately. And the way we played in the first half we actually played very well in the first 2025 i think i've seen a lot of sort of pundits and coverage where people seem to think or people seem to like the idea of saying oh united actually dominate the first half it's it's completely untrue um they had a few offside efforts realistically uh where the flag didn't go up and it probably should have done and on the in in the main we we controlled it the first 2025 they really struggled to to press us they really struggled to take the ball off us high up the pitch they had a, there were a few moments where we gave it away i can remember Elliot trying to switch it and giving it straight to anthony and they didn't capitalize um but in in the main i feel like they couldn't really have an out of they, they couldn't really put together an out of possession structure that troubled our two center backs receiving from Allison in goal and not being able to either keep it or, or play passes through. Not not long balls and things like that, but also just calm passes to full backs and then switches and things like that. We were able to do that all pretty comfortably, which to me is the sign that the press wasn't working, right? Yeah. I I, I know what you mean about the uh United with the the first half thing. Um I see this a lot with pundits where they say like one side wins the first half, one wins the second half, and it's kind of like they're saying both teams were even, but it just like isn't really true. Like even if United edge the first half and then Liverpool blow them away the second half, they're still like bringing up the first half. Yeah, they they were and they were just a disgrace. United they completely unravelled. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of teams come to Anfield in high pressure environments and. The the style that Klopp plays, that Klopp plays, sorry, <coughs> the intensity, as a buzzword, but the 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 level of like sort of suffocation of being 
all over, and, and just red shirts be a swarming teammate uh well the opposition team i mean there are some great guardiola quotes uh that maybe you can throw in the description that'd be nice um be a, <laughs> okay that's a job for me yeah you don't have to um, <laughs> there, are some, <laughs> there are some great guardiola quotes about your the shirts shrinking and just being swarmed and you can't breathe and they're sort of atmosphere ramps up and the fans are loving it more and more and, and it feeds off each other um, and with Klopp's direct style of pick the ball up and we go for the jugular I've seen Champions League ties I've seen Man City come here and just not be able to cope with it and it was just that same that same experience really for for United and, and Eric Ten Hag and I think coupled with the fact that he wanted to go man for man and coupled with the fact that you've got even someone like Lissandro Martinez, who has looked, you know, he was he was slagged off so much for just being small in the summer, and he was memed and everything, and he's been he's been very very good, so it hasn't been an issue. But in this game, I was watching him have to run out of defence to follow Cody Gakpo. The ball's chipped in from a fullback into into our number nine. The centre backs come, he's in oceans of space apart from Martinez, who's come, who's had to follow him in there. And and the ball's been chipped into sort of the 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 centre circle. There's a half of a pitch behind him, and he's got Salah and Nunes just ready to run. And you've got a player, you've got a six foot three Cody Gakpo, just comfortably just cushioning the ball down into either Harvey Elliott's feet or Henderson's feet, who can then just play forward instantly. And um, he was exposed, and I'm and I'm not saying that that's a long term issue, but I think, or, or I'm not saying that Martinez isn't good enough for the Premier League because of his height, and it was all it all came true at the weekend, and you know there were a huge amount of factors at play, and a huge amount of players in United shirts who were not up to the level required, um, but I think there is a clear blueprint that you can get at Manchester United in. A number of phases and I think what we have seen a number of different phases of of a football match and Arsenal this season are showing the level of dominance where they can dominate a game in every single phase of it in possession keeping the ball comfortably under pressure but also being able to carve open teams and create chances out of possession being able to sit in a mid block and not be caused any big problems in transition, being able to go direct and, and hurt teams when you win the ball and losing the ball and still having a shape that you can press in to win the ball back or at the very least stop a a direct counter that can hurt your space and behind you. And I think United, Ten Hag hasn't been there long, I understand that, but a lot of United fans were getting carried away talking as if they were on that level, at the same level that City have been at for so many years, the same level that Liverpool were at prior to this season. And um, it's no bad thing not to be there in your first season, but let's all just calm down a little bit on on Manchester United. But this is Manchester United. <laughs> Could we just talk about the stoppage time? Okay, three minutes were added on, Sam. Yeah, so six goals in the second half, plenty of subs, and yet we were robbed of maybe another three minutes added on. Where you'd you'd easily fancy us getting another two, to be honest. So the the refs sorted them out. The refs sorted them out all game, to be honest. They they were lucky to finish the game with finish the game with eleven players on the pitch. Uh, Luke Shaw could have gone. Bruno Fernandez could have gone. He also. Uh, I'm going to be careful what word I use, but either pushed, slapped, or patted. A linesman on the back, depending on probably what shirt you you like to wear at the weekends. I I I wouldn't go too hard on the physicality, but it was definitely wrong. <laughs> it was it? definitely wrong, and he was already on a yellow card. And I, uh, but look, hey, I'm happy. I'm happy that they kept eleven men on the pitch at the end of the day because it it doesn't give them any ammunition. But I think the ref helped them out. A little bit anyway, to be honest. And there were a few decisions that were... Fabinho got booked so early for doing hardly anything. And then Lissandro Martinez decides he can throw a forearm into Salah's face and nothing given. You know what I mean? And fair play, the ref didn't buy any of Bruno's play acting. But still, it wasn't exactly... 
uh, I was still very wound up in the f- in the first half. Obviously, things cooled out in the second half. I can really still be annoyed. What impact do you think this has on their season now? You've also got to think that this season will forever be tainted with the most humiliating defeat in Premier League history. So, you know, where does this leave United this season? Yes, they've won a trophy, but they made a deal with the devil to get it. And what did they come out with? The Carabao Cup. They've got an energy drink. Yeah, well, they're not putting the 7-0 on the DVD at the end of the year. Um, (laughs) I think United are still going to get top four, but it is a lot closer uh, in terms of how it feels than it did before. With Liverpool on the up and Tottenham, we don't really know <laughs> what they're like. But, you know, they're so close to United in points that uh, just having Conte in that dressing room maybe just shouts at them enough and fires enough energy for them to uh, get a few points and maybe United could be in danger. I don't know. I, I think they'll get top oh, four. Oh, it would be... S- watching them drop out, drop out of top four would be... I don't know. I don't know how I'd celebrate, but it, it it'd be pretty big. You know, they've got Real Betis tomorrow, so it's a it's a chance to immediately go there and turn it around. We'll see. We'll see whether that happens or not. Um, I do think it's interesting, though. I do think it's it. Well, there is a pattern emerging. Now it's too early to see if it's a real sort of pattern or not, but they have taken some heavy away defeats. Gary Neville was adamant it was a freak result. I do think it was a freak result, but I do think at the same time there's been a couple. Eric Ten Hag has been the man so far for United who couldn't put a foot wrong. He handled the the Ronaldo situation perfectly. He has got them playing far better football than they've had under any other manager for the past few years. He's got good things out of the signings. He's dropped Maguire and stood by that and and been rewarded. You know, he's made big decisions and he's been rewarded for them. I do just wonder, and maybe it's me hoping more than anything as a Liverpool fan, but I do just wonder if some of that, not authority, but some of that presence that he had built up and credit in the bank he'd built up through how he manages players and how he's been handling situations is just sort of tarnished a little bit by his captain on the day Bruno Fernandes and I said I wouldn't go into it but and I don't want to completely dig him out because there were terrible performances across the pitch but he just gave up really is what it looked like well he he did because look at Stefan Bajicic just jinking past him and him just putting his arms out and just standing still and there was no one else to track him down the line he just starts carrying it down the line and then sort of crosses the ball in which I think gets blocked by a centre-back but when you've been so hard on big characters and you've been so sort of it's my way or get out kind of thing and then this happens and and you don't have any sort of repercussions and instead you label Fernandez an inspiration to Man United and all of this I do just wonder if it takes away a little bit you know, yeah, and with like when Bruno tries to win that penalty, he uh, is on the ground for ages. He's uh, shouting at the referee. He's re- really, really slowly walking back as Liverpool are moving forward with the ball. He's having a go at the touchline. He's stopping to talk to Rashford. I mean, you didn't see Ronaldo do that either. Well, yeah, and let's think. He was playing on the left, right, and you go man to man, and who is our big weapon building up and spraying balls around you've got Trent there you know it's just it's it's criminal really it's criminal and and that also leads into Ericton Hag's errors in playing him on the left anyway because it means when you do have to deal with that him hitting the floor like he's been shot as soon as Canate just sort of brushes his chest you know if you're staying down for the, like you can't go and aggressively go sort of man for man high up the pitch and, and things like this if you've got players who are going to just be doing that, let alone the captain and the leader. Yeah, look, ultimately, is it going to have an impact on their season? I don't think so, but, well, imagine they go 1-0 down to Betis. What's the mentality like then all of a sudden? How How's the belief and how's the the confidence? Yeah, and just to touch on when you said it, uh, is it a freak result? Well, last year you did them 4-0 and 5-0 and looking at the last three years of 
a result since Man United's 2-1 victory in August that is the one that stands out. So 7-0 is a lot, but maybe Liverpool are just back to how they were now and yeah, I think I think there's still a lot to be uh, Liverpool back and everything like that. I don't think we are. I don't think we. We. I think we're still. But it's another three points, and it's a huge over over the rivals. And I think the things that we're seeing in terms of Canate and Van Dijk paired at centre back for like the sixth start in the Premier League this season. Um, you keep those fit. There's a huge sort of presence and, and sort of stability to go and to go and build on okay well the the second most exciting game of the weekend i'm, I'm <laughs> sure people will say was uh arsenal against bournemouth uh, uh obviously a very late winner from reese nelson uh reese nelson by the way um this season has a a goal involvement per 90 record of 5.29 goals goal or assists uh, per 90 minutes. Uh, he is top ahead of Erling Haaland, who's on 1.4. So I think that says <laughs> everything you need to know about how good Reese Nelson is. Fantastic. Um, Get him on the Ballon d'Or list, really. Yeah, he's got five goal involvements this season. So it's not just from from that game. That alone um, is actually impressive, though, you know, because he's not, he actually hasn't had minutes. Really he's played that. two matches this season. He's played and what, one sorry? of them was off the bench. He's played two games. Okay. And he's got five <laughs> goal and assists combined. Um, I watched this back on match of the day, and it looked like Arsenal got battered. It's crazy, like how the highlights can uh, shape how the game looks, especially when you've got the commentator calling a uh, the Thomas Partey goal to make it two-one is a lifeline. Uh, just the the stats from the match were Arsenal had eighty percent possession, and it was thirty one shots to four. Uh, and I think the Bournemouth Bournemouth's best chance, which they didn't score, was uh probably offside. But it was a really really good save by Ramsdale, nonetheless. Uh, really the one v one, the big one v one. Yeah, it looks it looked just offside, but I don't. Okay, know. well, Sam, um, forget about the game, and obviously, you know, it sounds like you did get a lifeline. More importantly, Antoine Semenyo scout report. Um, I asked you, I asked you before the game to prepare a document of uh, thirty pages. I wanted a touch, a breakdown of every touch, uh, heat map, the works. What have you got for me? Yeah, well, I <laughs> I can draw a heat map in my mind, and. Uh, <laughs> A lot deeper than you were expecting, I am, I'm sure. I'm sure he got a lot of uh, space uh, up top when he's playing for Bristol City. Bournemouth go uh, 1-0 up after 9 seconds, which is the second fastest goal in Premier League history. Not really sure there's much to analyse there, apart from a really good kickoff routine. But uh, they, did it, they did it before a couple of times. They did it in the Championship as well, didn't they? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, they, they, did they, they did it against... It might even have been against... I want to say Fulham, but I don't know if that's true. It was against someone who they were also pushing for promotion with, and they did it under Scott Parker, I think. So it is actually a thing you should have looked. You, you, you know, are we giving credit to Scott Parker for this then? The recently sacked. Scott well, Parker? no, but clearly they've got clearly the clearly it's either stayed. Well, I don't. Well, I suppose I don't know if the coaching staff for that has stayed the same or not, but something's lasted. Between okay. oh, between managers, it is fun. There was a lot of encroachment, I will say, but um, let's not talk about that goal. It, it, it's a really interesting situation to just be one 0 down instantly uh, when you've got such a uh, when you've got such an expectations gap between the two teams, where Arsenal are going to be wanting to dominate anyway, and it just meant that Bournemouth was so so deep, like the deepest team you've ever seen. Uh, in in their four five one, he had Semenyo on the left. Uh, if you're interested, and yep. uh, they basically had the entire eleven in their defensive third uh, at times. Uh, very very rarely were they having anyone in their half, which um, meant that Arsenal's defence was pushing up a lot, and that's why there were the space in behind, like you see for the uh, the Ramsdale save. Um, but it was just relentless from Arsenal. Uh, in terms of generating shots without actually having that 
quality or the the spark that you'd hope from Erdegaard or or Saka. Um, they they played pretty well, but they didn't quite have that magic to uh, unlock for a lot of the game. So there was a lot of um, sort of half chances, or in the second half as well, there was a lot of um, just the wrong final ball. But obviously, you watch the game and it feels like if Arsenal didn't win, you'd be saying like, how on earth have they not won that? Because uh, it was as it was as dominant as you could get, but because of the the game state, not because of the great quality of of Arsenal. Yeah, it was by um, choice, I suppose, of defending what they earned ten seconds in. And you're you're saying this as if they didn't score a se- score a second or anything. They must have. I, I can't remember. I, I did watch match. The day. It was, I was sort of falling asleep. It was from a corner. So uh, it's from a set piece. Okay, so it's kind of a masterclass, <laughs> is what it sounds like. Yeah, if they'd held on to it, yeah. score ten seconds in, protect it, score from a set piece. And then uh, keep shutting down shop, but if not for it was ahead if not for Ballon d'Or which, contender yeah. Reese Nelson, <laughs> yeah, step up uh, if he keeps on at, at this level. I mean, the thing with Arsenal as well, I have to say, is that they were, would have been very frustrated with the refereeing performance because of all the the handballs. I think there were four VAR stoppages uh, to look at handball incidents. So the the handballs, the handballs. I saw the one on Chris Meffin where it kind of. It kind of lands down on him, if I remember correctly. Well, he tries to head it, but he brings his arm up and knocks it out accidentally with his arm. Some people are saying it comes off the, his um, his sleeve, but the sleeve rule is so odd because uh, part of the ball is on his sleeve, part of it is on like his like elbow. Um, the sleeve is supposed to be, I think, like if you're getting the ball kicked at you and you're just like getting blocked, it's like. The sleeve is like, well, that would be too harsh if it's hit you on the top of the arm. I think the sleeve is kind of like, well, you can't move that very well, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not like you're, you're knocking the ball out with your sleeve. I, I I don't think that's what the rule is supposed to be. There's one where I think it might have been Senesi knocks the ball onto the post using his um his sleeve as well uh, to block a sack across and... You know, he's like moving into the ball with his sleeve, and it—it's like okay, maybe the rules uh, were applied correctly, but it's just like a, a weird handball rule. But my view on it is kind of just like, look, if you're having four handballs where it hits the hand and they're all getting reviewed, at some point you've got to sort of think, hang on a minute. The, the surely the laws are just the they should be averaging themselves out a bit more, right? Yeah. Well, the thing is, Southampton versus Leicester was uh, was the day after, wasn't it? And that had a handball which was uh, softer than the uh, the Chris Meppham one, and it was softer than the Philip Billing one, where he brings both his hands up to his chest and it hits it hits his hand. Um, and then you know Dortmund against Chelsea was a similar hard uh, harsh handball, but obviously that's a different competition, but. It just there isn't any sort of consistency uh, at all with it, with with the handball rule, even with this sleeve rule which they brought in. It's it's just crazy how much because uh, it's not the first time it's happened against Arsenal this season where I've seen just like a, a, a massive handball shout and, and none of them been given. And uh, it's a good job you top of the league. I don't know Kenny. what the rule is. Imagine the complaining we'd have then on our hands, you know. But uh, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> But I, I, this is the thing as well. Like, whenever Arsenal fans complain about it, like, you, you always get someone that brings up, like, oh, well, this game eight weeks ago, my team didn't <laughs> exactly get this decision. Twice. Yeah. I did the Ben White and then I did the uh, yeah. suit check. Yeah. And so it's like, funny. oh, like, even if it's not in an Arsenal game as well, they bring up, like, oh, well, uh, Tottenham versus Leicester this happened but you know and, what it is I think there's just uh, fraudulence in every single game that's my new because Bruno Fernandes slapped the lino Sam on a yellow card and it's fine what's all that about what's all that about Sam and Arsenal getting investigated for the celebration as well but I think it's not like an Arsenal versus other teams thing like people try and make it it's like a it's a it's a refereeing issue yeah. that I think it's making the game more frustrating because I get angry when the decisions don't go my way more than don't go my way. But when decisions go against Arsenal, that makes me more angry than some of Arsenal's losses this season. Like the, 
the loss against Everton, like you can sort of accept it, but when it's like a draw against Brentford or Southampton, it suddenly becomes so much more frustrating because it's like my team didn't really do anything that wrong, but there's these massive like you can't really understand how none of those handballs are, are given over over the game, uh, plus all the the time wasting, which Neto didn't get get booked at all for time wasting. He got booked in the seventieth for descent. And then Neto punches Ben White in the back, which doesn't get spotted either. Like deliberately punches him in the back off the ball for no reason. And yeah, it was frustrating in that way. Yeah. You want it to at least be as fair as it can be, right? If not, what's the point in it all? So the point the point about like all of these handballs and everything was like it was a really frustrating game for Arsenal because um, obviously Jesus has been injured didn't really play at the World Cup but somehow still got injured for like three months from it anyway uh, Inketia has had his problems uh, on the pitch but he's been injured as well so Trossard got injured after 20 minutes so now Arsenal have had their, their three uh, first choices for playing down the middle injured we bring on Smith Rowe who uh, was absolutely brilliant last season like people forget that the song Saka and then was Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe was our second top scorer with, with 10 goals in the league. Uh, he was brilliant and, is, and has been struggling with injury for the whole season. But um, it doesn't look ready either after being out for so long. Uh, and Arteta made the, the difficult but effectively really good in the end decision to take him off for Reese Nelson, who gets a goal and an assist. Um so there, there was a lot of frustrations for Arsenal in this this game, but the the fact that both the players, like players like Martin Odegaard, people that will just always keep going, like a brilliant, brilliant captain, like in terms of getting energy from from everyone and keeping everyone's heads up, and Arteta maturing into a manager who can make those those hard decisions and and adapt the game. For, for what we need, because his substitutions were great. Odegaard, a stark contrast to a certain someone that we saw, a certain yes. lino puncher that we saw uh, <laughs> the next day, I think you could say. Um, yeah, that's his new nickname, by the way, for, for the podcast going forward. The lino, uh, the lino abuser, the lino... <laughs> all of the above. Uh, and Ten Hag's... Anyway, we, we've, we've done that. We don't need to go back there. Don't need to give up. I was about to go again, uh, Sam. I was about to go again at Ten Hag, you know. Yeah. But that's about all I have to say about Arsenal. Uh it, when when teams are so deep against Arsenal, that is uh what has slipped us up. Yeah. It's we like to play with space if we can have it, but uh yeah, just just keeping going was what it was. It was thirty one shots and pretty spread evenly over the game. And Arsenal, Arsenal knew they were going to have the possession. They were were pushing higher uh, right from the back, and uh, they they got their rewards for it uh, as late as it as it was. I think we have seen, you know, the difficulties of maybe not difficulties, but don't know if it's fair to say the second half of the season. But you know, teams now. Teams approach Arsenal in a different way to at the start of the season. I know you still were blowing teams away sort of midway through even, but I do think that that the Everton result, struggling against Villa but coming through it, struggling against Bournemouth but coming through it, ultimately the thing that matters is that you, you're getting through them, um, bar the Everton game, um, which had a few more sort of factors involved anyway with it being Deitch's first game and stuff like that. But I do think there is... You know, you have to, to to win the league. You have to win all sorts of different ways because you need to be able to beat the teams that sit in. I follow a guy on Twitter, and he would always just because Liverpool were always pushing City for well for a couple of years. We pushing City, but never doing it ourselves. And it was always and we could and in that time it was very frustrating frustrating because we could beat City and over the the leg or in the Champions League or whatever or the head to heads we could we could have them. But it was always beat the dross, win the league. You know what I mean? And it's getting through the t- the games against Bournemouth and Villa where Unai Emery's going to pack him into like a mid-block, but, but they're basically dropping into a back six at times with the two sort of wide midfielders dropping in alongside full-backs. Bournemouth scoring a goal inside 10 minutes from a routine and then 
and then just clinging on for dear life. It's always going to be those games that really define how how you do into if if you're if you're looking to win the league. And that's why, as much as it's great that Liverpool beat United seven nil, if we go to Bournemouth concede early through you know them breaking on us even though we're dominating the ball early and then we just fall apart like we have in other games and sort of become quite nervous and rushed and lose our patience the 7-0 although it still means something because it's huge over the rivals but it's it's that it's being able to do both you know it's being able to go and and put together a team that City can't press and is comfortable enough in possession that City can't just go and dominate the ball against like you did. Although you you lost it, but you know, in terms of styles and matchup, you know, you did you forced City to play away where they did want to play. But equally, that same eleven has to basically go and well, not necessarily the same eleven, but that same squad has to then go and be able to turn up and 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 unpick a team that are going to just sit on the edge of their own box. Um, so, well, well, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. I think you'll, I think you'll, I think you'll get over the line. I think City have had too many opportunities to catch you and haven't. Do you know what I mean? I think the the four nil against Everton was only a week ago as well. Uh, it's so easy to forget. Like, uh, you know, Arsenal played a team that was really defensive and beat them four nil. And I think that after losing to Everton one nil, uh, when Deitch came in. I think that is a, a massive sort of, um, it, it, it's a massive backing for Arsenal. I think in terms of the their ability to actually beat the dross, as you say, like, uh, and I think you know you can talk about Arsenal have definitely dropped off after the World Cup, but I've been watching a lot of City as well, and I don't think they've been anywhere near as good in the second half as they have been in the first. It's just maybe a little bit of papering over the cracks with. The consistency consistency of of the wins they've had, uh, obviously dropping points as well. But I think also they've got so much, they've got so many stars that they can call upon off the bench that it does just paper over the cracks. And even if it's not De Bruyne or it's not Haaland, and they, you know, there's still a choice between. Well, Foden then comes back into the fold, and then he's just on fire. You know, I I just think there's so many gems. And there's so many match winners on the bench that it's just they can get away with not being great. And normally, normally they're completely dominant in all phases of play, like we spoke about earlier. But at the end of the day, if they aren't, does it really matter too much? If if they if they give if the opposition gives Foden half a yard of space that's too much, and he just bursts past a couple, is now driving into the box, and the centre backs thinking, right, well, I should probably go and stop the shot there but I'm leaving Haaland, you know? So, yeah, I don't think City have looked that great either, but they will have they will have match winners all over the pitch um, it, that could get them that could get them over the line, but I, I don't think... I think to catch you, they would need to be more of a force as a team. Yeah, I think Arsenal fans are really starting to believe as well. And uh, as frustrating as it was to watch City against Newcastle, where you know Foden's goal is from a massive deflection, and then City concede massive, massive chances, then Newcastle just fluff. Um, they didn't start Isaac as well, who looked brilliant when he came on. So you know it's a Newcastle attack that's not been firing on all cylinders recently, but they were making really big chances against City that you just like tearing your hair out that they're missing, but. Um, yeah, I think Arsenal fans are, are starting to finally start to believe a little bit now, and uh, uh, it's going to take bits of luck here and there, and more games like we've seen against Bournemouth, where it is going to be really tough. But from what I've seen from City since the World Cup, they they're going to have to step up to the next level, particularly in De Bruyne, and also uh, see see what Holland's goal scoring record is like because uh he's obviously still been scoring and doing well but do they need him to be as good as he was in the the first half of the season do you think there's any world in which he doesn't break the goal scoring record uh well there is always the 
the injury concerns, of course, with with him. But uh, I th- I think he's got it in the bag, isn't he? What what is the record? Do you know, it's thirty two Salah. So he's got twelve games to get what six. I think he could do that, can't he? I mean, he he definitely can game. do that. A goal every other game is pro- is it'd be would be pretty poor from him, right? Yeah, it's twenty seven. Sorry. So yeah, so six to break it, twelve games to go. You know, it's not it's not for how he raced off at the start. It's not a given, is it? It's not a given, but he has still been plugging the goals in. It's just he's not been getting those insane hat tricks like, like he did at the start of the season. God, I would give what well, I, I would give. Probably my life savings and debt. I'd probably go into debt if I could make a deal that would mean that he just doesn't take the record this season. Just this season? We well, could, any, any, any yeah, any thing. season. If I'm going to start going into debt over this, you know, I may as well, you know, cover... How about... Cover the bases a bit better. So, um... Yeah, it's been an emotional week for me, Sam. Talking of sort of dynasties coming to an end. It's been an emotional week with the Roberto Firmino news. I've been spending... I don't know, somewhere close to maybe 65, 70% of my days just watching Firmino compilation videos. Um, and it meant a lot when he got the seventh against United, I'll tell you that much. And I'm looking forward to enjoying to enjoying the, the send-off every week, to be honest, because what a song it is as well. Where's he going to go? Apparently, he gonna stay apparently he's not staying in the Prem out of, out of uh, love for Liverpool. Um, that's the rumours anyway but we'll see I don't know where he'll go to be honest I really don't I, I, I don't even know you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't like to see him at the uh, the Brazilian's favourite club in London uh, linking it with Gabby Jesus and Gabriel and Jorginho no Sam no uh, I won't be I won't be wishing for that at all no I would like to see him go to America and earn just shed loads of cash, or I don't know. Do they have kind of ret- shed loads? return to the Bundesliga? It could be sort of fun, but I don't think it would really really work. I don't know no, yeah. who would from the Bundesliga Spain. would come in from. I can't really see At- him going to Spain. Atleti. Atleti. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that could kind that of be, be fun. Feels like it would suit him. They like an old man that could kind as of well. Be fun. They like a, an old and hard-working striker, don't they? I'd like to close with see Senor give the ball to Bobby and he will score. Yeah, it should be it should be a Spanish though, isn't it? It should be in Portuguese. Well, it should be Sim Senor apparently is the whole thing. But then but look, Sam, just don't get bogged down in that. <laughs> it was meant to be the closing line. Don't get bogged down in the in the but we Port- don't have a we don't have a closing line though. We 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 talk about what we're going to say next week. Yeah, but in honour in honour of what? of the man who has brought me a huge amount of joy in my life, can can you not give me that? Do we what do we have to follow the well, rule book every time? Is that what you're saying? I'm not sure he's he's big enough. Uh, we've never mentioned oh him my on the God, podcast Sam, before. Sam, what? We've not mentioned his name. Yeah, but that's because it's it's a it's an era thing. It's we didn't start the podcast, and if imagine we started the podcast a few years ago, do you think I'd spend Imagine how bad the Liverpool chat is now from me in terms of the the how time consuming it is. Do you think you'd get a word in, Sam, if I was just able to wax lyrical on a weekly basis about Bobby Firmino? I mean, no. <laughs> uh, well, what closing line would you like to deliver then? If it can't be uh, give the ball to Bobby and he will score, which I'm not very happy about. Let me let me just. Something to look forward to. The twelve thirty early kickoff is Bournemouth Liverpool. Tottenham will be crashing out of the Champions League tomorrow against a poor AC Milan team at the moment. We have then Tottenham can also host Nottingham Forest and proceed to be pumped by then. Palace will be beating City two one at home. It's written in the stars. Everton-Brentford. Can Brentford continue their 12-match and beaten run? Leeds-Brighton. Leeds are going to get done. 
Leicester Chelsea, flip a coin, who knows? Will Potter be the third Chelsea manager in a row to get sacked after playing Leicester? There we go. Probably not because they came, not, got through against Dortmund, but you never know. They had too much encroachment to get them over the line. Yeah. And he he's he's in a job due to encroachment. That sounds <laughs> that makes me feel ill. That sounds like an illness, you know? The, the word encroachment. A very nice faint from Raheem Sterling. Imagine relying your your job relying on encroachment, Sam. Ugh. Do you reckon you'll beat Fulham, Sam? Um, sure, yeah. Oh, this is meant to be quick fire, snappy been... at the end. Do you reckon you'll beat Fulham, Sam? Uh, Fulham have been good, but no not quicker. as good as they were. United Southampton, who have you got? Five. Seven nil. Jeez, <laughs> to Southampton. <laughs> no, that's supposed to be the Arsenal game, Oh, sorry, sure. sorry. Uh, Man United will win seven nil. They were nine nil against Southampton again. Sure, why not? Sure, why not? They got a point to prove. They're angry. No, uh, West think, Ham Villa, be the Battle of the Claret no, and no. Blue. Who will be crowned? No, no, sorry, the true king of the Claret and Blue next uh, this Burnley. weekend. Burnley. Well, no, that'll be next season when Burnley come up and smash smash the rest of the Claret and Blue teams. What am I doing? Predictions. Well, one nil United, two nil Villa, uh, and then Newcastle Wolves. Nil-nil. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be that'd be real nice. If they play Isaac, they looked a lot more exciting. Callum Wilson is a brilliant striker, but the Isaac effect was was real against City in the last thirty minutes, or whatever. Okay, okay, right. Well, reckon we can leave it there. No relegation talk this week, unless you count us talking about Man United, who deserve to be relegated <laughs> because their captain slapped the liner on the back. And with that, Sam, yeah. I bid you a happy Easter. Don't know where I've gone with that. And a, uh, we are going to talk before Easter. Huh? This isn't the last one before. This isn't the last one before Easter. No, but I'm just preparing. I, 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 what? And I'm not okay. allowed to say happy Easter unless it's the week okay. before. I can't just wish my friend well, no, a happy Easter. You have to say it every week. No, okay, I'll Easter. say it every week. I'll say it every week. Well, thank you, Toby. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I'll I'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, and uh, give the ball to Bobby, and he will score. Just giving you one of those. If you need to edit it in somewhere.